Please turn with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. We're in verse 14. Ephesians 3, uh, verse 14. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. Uh, we thank you for all the kids in children's ministry and youth ministry. Pray that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would speak to them this morning as they study your word. God, and as we look at the importance of prayer and the importance of being strengthened and knowing your love, just pray that you would really bless this service, that you would remove distractions, that you'd bind the enemy, that you'd give me grace and strength in teaching your word and that we would grow in you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. The distance between the head and the heart can be the longest to travel. What do I mean? Is we can understand things in our mind, intellectually, but not experience them in our hearts. I know that that was the case for me growing up. I had heard of the love of God from my parents, from my church, from my Christian school. I could recite it to you. I had a head knowledge of it, but I didn't have a personal working knowledge of the love of God. I know that my mom, my dad were praying for me and ultimately those prayers went out and God was faithful to communicate his love to me in a a personal way. But even now, years later, as we go through the book of Ephesians and we've spent time looking at these first three chapters of who we are in Christ, sometimes it's stuck here instead of impacting here. And there's a gap between my intellectual understanding and my heart knowledge. What are some things that we've been told by God of who we are in Christ, our position in Christ, that we're accepted by God? He's accepted us in Christ, that we're beloved, that God loves us. We're adopted, we're predestined. We've obtained an inheritance all because of our position in Christ. I think Paul, as he's writing this letter in prison, he knows that there's a gap for the church of Ephesus. Though they're the believers, that they love the Lord, still they're not fully grasping their identity, their position in Christ. So what does Paul do in this last paragraph of chapter three is he prays. He prays that they would know the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. He prays that they would have greater fellowship with Jesus. In church, it's prayer that closes the gap. It's for us to to pray for other believers, believers that we love, our church family, that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. To even pray this for ourselves in our own lives, the things that we see in this paragraph, to allow the understanding of God's love to go from our head to our heart. I absolutely love this prayer. All the prayers of the Bible are significant and they teach us about prayer. A lot of times when we're praying, we're not sure what to to pray for. And if we'll take these four key things and adopt it into our prayer life, I think that we're gonna find it to be very refreshing and very encouraging. So verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, for this reason... He bows his his knee before his father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is Paul on his knees? We We can picture Paul in a prison cell with other prisoners, and it's not stopping him from getting on his knees. 
What does it communicate to be on our knees before God? It shows passion. It shows priority. It shows humility. Being surrendered to God. Do you have to get on your knees when you pray? No. Will we always get on our knees when we pray? No. But when we do get on our knees, it's allowing our body to come in alignment with the condition of our heart. So, so my heart's surrendered to God, and I want my body to now come in line with that. So I'm going to get on my knees but before the Lord. This was not the common way for Jews to pray in the Old Testament. We only find Solomon on his knees before God, and that was at the dedication of the temple, a very significant event. Normally, Jews would stand praying. To this day, at the Wailing Wall, as we witness Orthodox Jews praying, they're standing. And here, Paul says, I'm kneeling before the Lord. Maybe kneeling before the Lord is something you do regularly. Continue. Maybe you've never gotten on your knees before God. Give it a try. Before you get into bed, to just go ahead and kneel before the Lord. Or you get up early in the morning. No one else is up and kneel at the couch and begin to talk with, with, with the Lord. He addresses his prayers towards his father. Jesus taught us to pray. He said, our father which art in heaven. We're talking to our dad. Verse 15, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So the, the whole family of God is, is coming to our heavenly father, those on earth and those that are already in heaven, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. I like this. Paul's saying, may God work in your life, believers, church of Ephesus, not because of who you are, not because of your works or your efforts, but according to his riches. The word according is out of. Out of God's infinite resources, his grace, his goodness, his glory, may he work in in your life. And as we pray, and we lift up those that we love, and we, we lift up our own needs before God, may we know, God, I'm, I'm coming to you based on your goodness. Amen? I'm coming to you based on your, your grace, and may you work in our lives based on who, who you are. So we get into the specifics of the prayer. If you're taking notes, first, to pray for strength, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. He knows that the church of Ephesus needs to be strengthened in their inner man. What's the inner man? It's everything that's not seen. It's the mind, the emotions, and the will. And when our inner man gets discouraged, when our inner man gets defeated, it affects everything, doesn't it? You may be in a really difficult trial, but your inner man is strengthened and God is able to sustain you even in the darkest of hours. But you could also be at what seems to be a very joyous occasion, maybe a great vacation, maybe an anniversary, a graduation of one of, of your children, but yet you find your, your inner man discouraged. It's not directly tied to our circumstances, though our circumstances do affect our, our inner man. I'm sure this morning many of us are in a place where we need our inner man to be strengthened by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see many people throughout scripture where their inner man got crushed, where their inner man got discouraged. Some of the greats that we really look up to, Moses had a difficult job, didn't he? Leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness towards the promised land. The children of Israel were prone to complain like us. They would grumble and complain about anything possible. 
And in this particular occasion, they're grumbling about Moses. They're grumbling about their leadership. Grumbling about leadership is low-hanging fruit, isn't it? It's an easy thing to complain about. And they're like, this is Moses' fault. Why, why in the world did he lead us out here? Moses got discouraged. He got fed up. And in Numbers 11, he's having an honest conversation with God that I really appreciate. And what you'll see in the theme of these that got discouraged is they had a, enough comfortability with God that they could talk to God about how they really feel. And this is what Moses said to the Lord. He says, I'm not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. Ever feel that way? God, the burden is just too heavy for me. I, I can't bear this alone. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. What does Moses say? God, could you just do me in? God, it's time for you to go homicidal on my life, right? I've had it. Do you picture Moses in that place, this, this great man of faith that sacrificed so much for the Lord? Could we say his inner man was, was discouraged? Absolutely. Elijah in 1 Kings 19 has this pinnacle of his ministry, a mountaintop, quite literally, confronts the prophets of Baal, says, let's have a challenge, let's, let's build our altars, and whatever God is true is going to send down fire from heaven. Of course, God answers, Baal doesn't. A great victory for God's glory. Jezebel gets mad, sends a text to Elijah, you're a dead man. And Elijah, in his humanity, he freaks out. Instead of reflecting upon God's faithfulness, and he runs for his life. He's out in the wilderness, and this is what he says to God. He says, he prayed that he might die and said, it's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Just like Moses, he's like, I've had it. Please, take my life. I don't want to continue on. And as you continue to read 1 Kings 19, you see the process of God encouraging his inner man. Jeremiah felt very similar in Lamentations 3, 16 through 18, the, the great prophet speaking to God, speaking about God. He's broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. <laughs> That's pretty classic. It's like, God, you busted my teeth out with rocks, right? That, that has comfortability to be able to share his disappointment with God. You've moved my soul far from peace and I have forgotten prosperity and I've said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. I have no more strength. I have no more hope. And as you go on to read Lamentations 3, once again, God meets him and God encourages him. A verse I've been reflecting on this week, Psalm 61, 1 and 2, says, From the end of the earth I will cry to you, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. David has the humility to admit that his heart is overwhelmed. A lot of times we don't want to admit that. A lot of times our spouse doesn't even know that we're, we're overwhelmed. If you're single, your, your family, your closest friends, they don't even know that you're overwhelmed. People ask us, how are you doing? Great. I'm doing fine. Like, we lose a man card. Lady, maybe, ladies, maybe you lose a woman card. I don't know. To say, I, I'm overwhelmed. And here's this great leader, this great man, David. And he's like, I'm overwhelmed. And from the end of the earth, 
I'm crying unto you. I, I don't have any other options. He says, Lord, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. He knows that in this place of discouragement, he can't find the rock. He needs God to lead him to the rock. The rock's that place of stability. The rock's that, that place of strength. I know this morning that even with the events that have been taking place in our community, the shooting that took place in, in Florida, the high school, and the loss of 17 lives, our hearts are overwhelmed. We, we ask questions. What in the world's going on? What is all of this leading up to? We come this morning with an inner man that needs to be strengthened by the Lord. I know I'm just scratching the surface. I know that some of you are, are dealing with great pain, great disappointment, loss of a loved one, a broken relationship. Maybe everything's fine in your life, but the black dog of depression seems to haunt you and, and you go through your days in this, this dark, dark tunnel. All of it. And the prayer that Paul prays is, may God strengthen you and your inner man by the Holy Spirit. And I've been praying that for you. I'm praying this morning that, that God would strengthen your inner man by, by the Holy Spirit. That's an outside source, church. That, that's the Holy Spirit of God. That's not us being strengthened in our own resources, but the Spirit who lives inside of us giving strength. Many times, practically, the way that we experience God's strength in our lives is to wait upon the Lord. Isaiah 40 tells us as we wait upon the Lord, our strength is going to be renewed. Have you ever come to church and after worship and time in the Word and with believers, you leave and you go, you know what? My inner man's strengthened. God has done something in my heart. He's, he's given me strength as I've met with him. We spend time in the word on our own, devotionally, and, and we read and we get done and we go, man, my inner man has been strengthened. Take a walk and talk with the Lord. Be like Jeremiah, be like Elijah. Be honest with God, listen for his voice. And at the end of that, we feel strengthened. But church, we need his strength. We need to be praying for his strength for one another and even for our own lives. And it's God's desire to, to give us strength. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through, through faith. This is a prayer for fellowship, number two. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, wait a second. I thought Paul's writing to believers. He is. So why is he praying that the church would dwell or Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith? The word dwell means to be at home. Literally, at home in your hearts. What Paul is praying for is not for the church to get saved, they're already saved, but for them to have greater fellowship with Jesus Christ, for Christ to be at home in their hearts. We think of our, our hearts as Christ's home. Is Christ at home in my heart? Are there things in my heart that make him feel unwelcome, that make him feel uncomfortable? We've all gone into friends and family's homes and at times you feel incredibly welcome, don't you? You feel at home there. You feel you can be yourself. You can take your shoes off. You can allow your true personality to be seen. But other times you, you go into a home and you go, man, they don't really want me here, right? I don't feel, feel comfortable here. Or maybe there's something happening or being said or something on TV that doesn't line up with 
your conviction with, with, with Christ. And Christ isn't going to leave our hearts because he's committed to dwell inside of us and never leave us or forsake us. But is there anything in my heart, in my life, that, that makes him feel uncomfortable? And this is the prayer for greater fellowship with, with Christ. Church, this is the Christian life. This is the mystery of the gospel, that Christ would live in us, that we get to abide in Christ, that he never leaves us or forsakes us, and and God wants to take us deeper into fellowship with Christ. And this is our greatest need. This is what I need. This is what you need. This is a great prayer for our church, Rocky Mountain Calvary and other churches, is God, would you take us deeper into fellowship with Jesus? The word fellowship means to share in common, Where Christ is sharing everything in common with us, we're sharing everything in common with Christ. What an amazing gift that Christ would dwell in our hearts and that we would pray and desire that Christ would be at home in our hearts. What a great prayer for our kids. If you have children, for grandkids, if you have grandkids, may they fellowship with Jesus. They have greater understanding of who Christ is. The next prayer is that you would be rooted and grounded in love. It's a prayer for love. I hope that you're just taking notes, remembering these things, and as you pray in your relationship with God, that you would pray for strength, that you would pray for fellowship, that you would pray for love, that you're rooted and you're grounded in love. Two analogies here. We have an agricultural analogy and an architectural analogy, that your roots would be in the love of God. Roots are so important. A paragraph on roots, first, they provide the anchor needed to keep a plant in place. Makes sense. Without roots, the plant's not going to stay in place. More importantly, roots are a lifeline of a plant, taking up air, water, nutrition from the soil and moving them up into the leaves, which they can interact with sunlight to produce sugars, flavors, and energy for the plant. If the plant doesn't have roots, it doesn't have life. And for us as believers is that our roots would go deep into the love of God. That we know that we're loved by God. That that's our stability. That's our strength. That becomes our nutrition, our source of continuing to be able to grow and have life and have, have vibrancy. Be, be rooted in God's love. Go deeper into God's love. We're going to be rooted in something, aren't we? That's the way God designed us. We're looking for stability. We're going to go deep into something. Maybe it's a relationship, and we're putting everything into this relationship, saying, this is going to be my life. This is going to be my stability. Or maybe it's a job or it's a career. That's where you've really put your hope and your stock, and you're saying, everything in my life is there. Our kids, they're, they're looking to put their roots into something. Right now, they're, they're placing it down. And God's saying, our roots need to be in the love of God. This is the place of our stability. And that always, our roots could go deeper into the love of God. How, how does this work? I think a, a lot of ways, it's like a marriage. The longer that we're married to our spouse, as we are in Christ and our marriage continues to grow, is our love becomes deeper, doesn't it? Amber and I got married 16 years ago, and when we got married, I I was head over heels in love with her. Everything about her. 
the way she looked, the way she talked, her heart. I couldn't imagine loving her more. But now 16 years later, I do love her more. I think she loves me more, thankfully by God's grace somehow, right? <laughs> how, how is that? Because we've experienced 16 years together. God's blessed us with four children together. We've gone through joys and sorrows and sin and victories and everything that, that you could imagine and we're able to look into each other's eyes and go, the love's gone deeper. The love is more rooted. And we talk to couples that have been married 45 years and they look at us like, you're young puppies, you know nothing, right? And they have a depth of love for each other that I can tell is even deeper, right? And that's what God is expressing here in our relationship with Christ is that it would continue going deeper, that we would continue to be rooted and grounded in his love and those, those roots would just penetrate further and further into his love. The other illustration is grounded, grounded. This is the architectural, the foundation, to lay the foundation. Buildings, obviously, are dependent upon their foundations, this has become crystal clear with the Millennial Tower in San Francisco, built in 2008. Quite an architectural genius. Everything is state-of-the-art in these luxury apartments. 58 stories high. The apartments have a beautiful panoramic view of downtown San Francisco and the bay. There's only one problem. The Millennial Tower has been sinking every year since it's been built. It has sunk 17 inches so far, and also the building has tilted 14 inches. So there's quite a to-do about this. When the apartments sold, they sold anywhere from $1.6 million to $10 million. This is what the critics are saying of why it's sinking. Some critics blame the city of San Francisco for allowing the millennial partners to anchor the building 80 feet into packed sand rather than 200 feet down to bedrock. That makes sense, right? Into packed sand 80 feet or 200 feet into bedrock? I'm betting on 200 feet into bedrock, especially when you're 58 stories high. The foundation is the most important and is your foundation in the love of God. Those that we love is their foundation in the love of God. Let's pray that, that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. What may this look like if we're rooted and grounded in the love of God? So you have a great day and you experience the blessings of God and you go, God, I know that this is because you love me. <laughs> Thank you for being my father. You have a really bad day. The world falls apart. It's those memorable days in our lives that you go, God, I'm broken I'm confused, I don't understand, but I know that you love me. That's a foundation in the love of God. Those are roots that have gone deep into the love of God. Of all the confusion that can come over the lives of our, of our kids, may they know the love of God. May they know when they wake up, God loves me. When they go to bed at night, God loves me. When things come and go, God loves me. It's our foundation, it's everything. Continuing this prayer of love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what's the width and length and depth and height. The four measurements of God's love. To comprehend God's love. How wide is God's love? 
His love is so wide that he sent his son to die upon the cross, to reach out his arms, to be nailed to the cross, to die for our sin, to give the wide invitation that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's wide. That's a wide extension of of God's love. How long is God's love if we were to try to give a length to God's love? Well, it's long enough to last for forever. There'll never be a moment in eternity where God stops loving you, where God stops loving me. How deep is God's love? God's love is, is so deep that it's greater than all of our sin and also deeper than the darkest of circumstances and the darkest of hours. How high is God's love? God's love is so high that it takes us to heaven where we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies even now. It's a prayer to comprehend the love of God. Verse 19, to know the love of God which passes knowledge. This is a love that reaches the heart. This is not condemning knowledge. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. Knowledge is the gateway to the heart. We've got to understand things in our minds for them to make sense to our heart, but not stopping with our minds. To be able to rest in the love of God and to to know his love, which surpasses knowledge. Fourth thing to pray for is pray for fullness, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Church, we're full of something. The question is, what are we full of, you know? How do we know what we're full of when we get bumped? Got this water bottle here. And if I were to take the lid off and were to give it a good bump, what's inside the container is what's going to come out. So when I'm going through my days and I get bumped, and I will get bumped, you will get bumped, when anger, frustration, comes out. That's the indication of what's in my heart. That's what my heart has been meditating upon. When the love of God and the kindness of God flows out, that means that's where my heart heart has been. The reality of our experience right now is both exist inside the heart. True? Is it just my heart? (laughs) Our hearts, right? Amen? And so what are we allowing the Lord to fill us up with? Are we filled with the fullness of God to where when we get bumped, that his kindness comes out? This is a bit of a mystery that God's fullness could be poured into our lives. The fullness of God could be filling our hearts and filling our lives. God wants to fill you with with his fullness. Verse 20, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. This seems pretty lofty when we go through and we pray for these things. Strengthen the inner man. Fellowship with Christ. To know the love of God. To be filled with the fullness of God. How could I be filled with the fullness of God? And Paul believes that God is able to do even more than what he would ask or think. Here he is praying for the church of Ephesus and he's like, this is what I can think of. This is what I can imagine. This is a lofty request before God that all of these believers would be touched with the love of God and know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. But God, I believe that you're gonna do even more than what I ask. You're gonna do more than what I could even imagine. 
Now remember, Paul's praying according to the will of God. These are things that line up with what we know is God's will. He's not praying for selfish desires on behalf of the church of Ephesus. He's not saying, I pray that they win the lottery. I pray that they all become millionaires. He's praying for the things that really matter that line up with God's heart, but he knows that God hears his prayers. And I think if we're honest, if I'm honest, sometimes we're wrestling with how much do I believe God's power and his ability? How much do I really believe that he hears my prayer and that he's going to respond and this prayer is going to result in, in something? We're like Gideon. Gideon was wrestling with, do I trust in God's ability and his power? God called him to stand up against the Midianites, calls him a mighty man of valor, and Gideon's like, really? Me? Do you, you, do you have the wrong person? So he says, Lord, I need to know that you're in this. And he gets a fleece, puts the fleece out and says, if this fleece is wet and everything's dry around, God, I know you're in this. God does it. Oh, well, Lord, I need another confirmation. So, so let, let's flip this. Let's have the fleece be dry and everything else be wet. I don't know if I said that right, but you get the idea. Both, both took place. You guys with me? Right? He tested it both ways. God does it. So, okay, Lord, I'm going to take this step of faith. Calls the warriors together. They're grossly outnumbered. God speaks to Gideon and says, you've got too many warriors. What? Too many warriors? Yeah, send these guys home. They're down to 300 warriors. Gideon trusts the Lord that God can do a victory with 300 warriors. God has a way of limiting our resources, taking away our warriors, taking away our horses, and for us to be able to trust, God, you have the power. You can save by many or you can save by few. God, you can do a work in this. Do you believe that God can do a work in your family if you pray? Husbands, dads, do we believe that God could do a work in our wives and our kids if we pray? Paul didn't see prayer as the last resort. He's, he knew that there was a work that God could desire to do through, through prayer. Church, do we believe that God can do, a prayer, can do a work in our community through prayer, that he can do more than what we would ask or think or even imagine? And the purpose is verse 21. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The reason that God would work in our lives this way is for his glory, that God would be glorified. Sometimes we get this mixed up in our motivation, don't we? We want people to think well of us. Want people to think we're a good dad. We're a good mom. We're a good follower of Christ. We're living life well as someone who is single. And the motivation needs to be for the glory of God. God, would you work in our lives for your glory, that people would know, Jesus, the reality of you and be quick to give God the glory. Closing the gap from the head to the heart. How does it happen? How does it take place? It takes place through prayer. It's okay to come before the Lord in our own lives as well. Say, Lord, there's a tremendous gap between what I know intellectually and what I experience in my heart and begin to pray that God would bring strength and fellowship 
deeper knowledge of his love and and the fullness of God. And also, this is a, a great way to pray for one another and to pray for those that you love. For just a moment, we're going to pray through this together and then take, take communion and celebrate communion. I'm going to give you some moments where I'll be quiet. It's a miracle, I know, but some silence and for you to lift up people in your life that you know need to be met by the Lord. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we get to come and talk to you that you're our dad. We do desire that you would provide strength in our inner man by the power of the Spirit. I pray for everyone gathered here this morning that you would strengthen us in our inner man. Lord, those that feel like Moses and Jeremiah and Elijah where our heart is overwhelmed, would you lead us to the rock that's higher than I? Go ahead and and pray for two or three people that you know need strength in their inner man this morning. Lift them up by name. And Jesus, I ask as a church family that we would have greater fellowship with you. You've brought us into fellowship with you. And we invite you to be at home in our hearts, be be at home in our lives. We don't want to hide anything from you. We don't want to run from you, but we we want you to dwell with us. Be, Be at home in us. Take us deeper into fellowship. Let's pray specifically for our teens of of Rocky Mountain Calvary and our community, Colorado Springs, that God would be gracious to give them greater fellowship with Jesus. Lift up some teens specifically. God, we plead with you, uh, our lives, teens, Lord, there's no hope apart from you, God. And and teens are are coming apart from the inside out, right in front of our eyes. And Jesus, would you be gracious to reveal yourself? Even those growing up in the church that know you, Lord, we pray for the teens of Rocky Mountain Calvary that they would have such a vibrancy with you, Jesus, that they would know you. We pray for all of the lost teens that have no idea who you are, that you, Christ, would break through. Would you do a work in this generation? Now, let's pray for love. Let's pray for a greater understanding of God's love, that we'd be rooted and grounded in God's love. Let's pray for that for the body as a whole. Let's take a few moments to lift up Rocky Mountain Calvary. Father, we pray not only for RMC, but also for Vanguard Church and Discovery Church, Calvary Worship Center, Mountain Springs, and 
New Life Church in Woodman Valley, Grace Bible Church, all of the churches in the Springs, Lord, would you be gracious to take us deeper into your love. May we be known as a community of believers that are rooted and grounded in your love. We pray for fullness, God, in our lives. Would you empty us right now, emptiness of our sin, our selfishness, our anger, our unkindness. Would you be gracious to fill us with the fullness of God? Build our faith, Lord. We, we wanna be like Paul, where we're convinced that you're gonna do more than what we could ask or think. As we now enter into communion, may you bless this time of communion in Jesus' name. 